If losing Afghanistan wasn't bad enough, we also lost our friend Neil Conan. A terrible month, a terrible sense of loss on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. And Ike to you, and Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 372 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. There are so many moving parts to what is going on in Afghanistan, with so much uncertainty, and yet everyone has come to a conclusion. It's Biden's fault. It's Trump's fault. No, it's Obama's fault. Wrong, it's Bush's fault. We, that is, the U.S., still have days to go before President Biden's self-announced deadline to pull troops out of the country. We don't know how successful we'll be. We don't know how many Afghanis who helped us during this 20-year war we will be forced to leave behind. For his part, Biden insists that things are going according to plan. At least that was as of Tuesday. First, on evacuation, we agreed that we will continue to close our close cooperation to get people out as efficiently and safely as possible. We are currently on a pace to finish by August the 31st. The sooner we can finish, the better. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops. But the completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate and allow access to the airport for those who were were transporting out and no disruptions to our operations. In addition, I've asked the Pentagon and the State Department for contingency plans to adjust the timetable should that become necessary. I'm determined to ensure that we complete our mission, this mission. But that was before Thursday's suicide bombings, one near the Kabul airport that resulted in many deaths, including at least 13 American service members. It was exactly what Biden had been fearing two days earlier on Tuesday. I'm also mindful of the increasing risks that I've been, I've been uh, briefed on and the need to factor those, re- those risks in. They're real and significant challenges that we also have to take into consideration. The longer we stay, starting with the acute and growing risk of an attack by a terrorist group known as ISIS-K, an ISIS affiliate in Afghanistan, which is the sworn enemy of the Taliban as well. Every day we're on the ground is another day we know that ISIS-K is seeking to target the airport and attack both U.S. and allied forces and innocent civilians. After Thursday's bombings, Biden promised quick retaliation. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. But even before the bombings, the blame game had begun and the partisans had already made up their minds, like House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. What's happening in Afghanistan is a disaster for America's security and credibility. Not for just today, not for next week, but for decades to come. Other countries are questioning 
whether we have the resolve to honor our word because of the bungled withdrawal. President Biden magnified this damage over the past week by hiding at Camp David, delivering incoherent speeches. Today, he signaled an unconditional surrender to the Taliban, promising to leave in just seven days. Madam Speaker, the President's actions gave the impression of an incompetency and a declining power. And South Carolina's Lindsey Graham on Fox News. If we leave one American behind, if we don't get all those Afghanistan, uh, Afghans who stepped up the plate to help us out, then Joe Biden, in my view, has committed a high crime and misdemeanor under the Constitution and should be impeached. The rhetoric got even more heated on Thursday. But some Democrats aren't happy either. Seth Moulton, a congressman from Massachusetts, faulted Biden for the pace of withdrawal in an interview on Vice News. My problem is with how the withdrawal is going, how it's being managed, and what's clearly a lack of planning that's prevented many of our American citizens and allies from getting out safely until this point. Do you think he addressed those concerns? No, he, he barely mentioned them, and he made an excuse that just doesn't hold any water for not eva evacuating our Afghan allies, which is that many of them don't want to come. Look, there's been a backlog of visas since I came to Congress, and if you just look at the pictures coming out of Kabul right now, there are thousands of Afghans clamoring at the gates of the airport to get out. So don't tell me that they don't want to come. Moulton was one of two House members who decided on their own to visit Afghanistan on a fact-finding mission, a move that was criticized by members of both parties. Biden has even lost some of the late-night comics, always a telltale sign on how America is thinking. Here's CBS's Stephen Colbert. Because he's the president, President Biden's getting a lot of criticism. Here's ABC's Martha Raddatz. And you also had a really massive intelligence failure here that the U.S. did not realize how quickly the Taliban could take over. Massive intelligence failure. That's got a sting when people describe your foreign policy the same way they describe Ron DeSantis. Afghanistan has been a mess for 20 years. One wonders, had we pulled out five years ago or five years from now, if anything other than a Taliban takeover would have happened? The fact is, there was probably no easy way of getting out. Biden's decision to withdraw from the country after two decades will in the end probably be greeted by a majority of the American people. But as of now, the optics have been terrible, the withdrawal messy, and the threat of more suicide bombings real. Do I wanna do right? Of course, but do I really wanna feel I'm forced to answer you? And no, I'll quite, quite a taste for a well-made mistake. I wanna make a mistake, I can't make a mistake. Oh. And now, Neil Conan. I've thought about this moment ever since the day in December of 2019 when Neil, my longtime friend and host of NPR's Talk of the Nation, called me and told me he had inoperable brain cancer. They gave him two years, he said. He didn't even have that as he died two weeks ago. He first announced his illness on The Political Junkie back in March of last year. 
I know you've had health issues these past few months, and I suspect the audience may not know this. What's what's going on with you? Well, uh, to uh, quote someone far more eloquent uh, than I, uh, well, you might have heard that I, I got a bad break. But, Ken, you know, as I think back, I was lucky, we were both lucky, to work with so many smart people at NPR and really lucky that they uh, gave us so much airtime every Wednesday to talk and Talk of the Nation was uh, probably the highlight of my career, but but anyway, but the thing is, you met, you alluded to uh, bad breaks. Um, I have a form of uh, brain cancer, an aggressive kind of brain cancer, and I am told by the doctors that uh, it will do for me sooner or later. We're taking chemotherapy and radiation treatments and hoping to push it to later. Uh, so we'll have to see. You know, when you first told me that, I just remember the longest amount of silence I've ever encountered on the phone by me. I just, uh, just such stunningly sad and and awful news. Um, And I don't want to, I don't want this conversation to be dead. I mean, I'm listening to your voice and it sounds the same as always. And the enthusiasm is all the same. So, so I should be as adult-like and strong as you, but, (laughs) but so let me just, how, like day to day, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm not too bad. Uh, I, I feel really good right at the moment. You know, we've been through the radiation and um, the first course of the chemo, so that's done, and, and they've gotten so much better at that now, so I still have all my hair, at least for the moment. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I sleep a little bit more than I used to, but other than that, everything's just about normal. I don't have as much energy as I used to, but uh, I do okay. Who does, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, you talk about 70, yeah. In what some might regard as, a, you know, an excess of candor, uh, my neurosurgeon told me that I had what John McCain had, what Ted Kennedy had, and what Bo Biden had. So, <laughs> a very political cancer. You know, so, you know, I, I listen to you smile, and, and and the audience will listen to you smile, and I know what the reaction is going to be. And 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 Neil, you are. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, and I don't mean to be uh, cutesy about this, but if if Saddam Hussein couldn't break you. You know, when you were captured during the Gulf War, I, I'm hoping you're going to beat this, too. Oh, well, thanks, Ken. Uh, and you never know, you know. Uh, keep the faith and, uh, and keep, keep on trying, so you never know. Neil, I miss you, and I'm thinking about you, my friend. Thanks, Ken. Keep on. Neil was often a guest on The Political Junkie. Not a bad trade, considering I had been a guest on Talk of the Nation hundreds of times, starting not long after he took over in 2001. I never liked interviewing him. I always felt that he should be the one asking the questions because he did that better than anyone else. Sometimes, though, when he was answering questions, he would be spot on. This is from that show in March of 2020. If we were doing the show, if we were still doing Talk of the Nation, one of our conversations, no doubt, would have been would be about speculating and who's going to be the VP. Do you have a guess? Kamala Harris. Do you? Yeah. But as I said, he was the best in the business in interviewing guests. He knew so much, but he also wanted to keep learning and sharing what he learned. When I was NPR's political editor, Neil would have me on Talk of the Nation whenever there was breaking political news. But starting in 2006, a decision was made to have a regular weekly political junkie segment on TOTN each Wednesday. It was, as many of you have said, appointment listening. We both loved it, and so did our listeners. This is from our final segment in June of 2013, when NPR decided to cancel the program. 
This is Talk of the Nation. I'm Neil Conan in Washington. It's Markey in Massachusetts. The court nixes DOMA and Prop 8, and the president bows to the summer heat and discards his jacket to take on climate change. It's Wednesday, and time for a... It's not that sexy. ...edition of The Political Junkie. There you go again. That's when I crazy. hear your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad. Where's the beef? Extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. You don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Lipstick. Oops. But I'm the decider. As I'm sitting here, listening to some of my conversations with Neil over the years, I still to this day remember the anticipation of each week's show, which always began with this theme music. Every Wednesday, I sat across the table from him as we recounted the week's political news. We would be serious when it was called for, and we, and we would giggle and have fun when it was called for. There was a lot of that on the show as well. Tomorrow on Talk of the Nation, how to say, I'm sorry, public or private apologies can be tough, and we've heard some very public ones lately. Ken Rudin's coming on. We may have to issue one. And we always had such fun with the trivia question, as did the callers. Anyway, we have some people who think they know the answer to our trivia question, 800-989-8255, if you think you know the identity of the last Republican governor to resign in a scandal. And let's see if we can go first to, this is uh, Dean, and Dean's with us from Cleveland. Was it George Ryan of Illinois? George Ryan of Illinois, who was still in prison, never resigned his seat early. He filled out his eight years as governor. I believe eight years. I made mm-hmm. him four years. But uh, George Ryan re- or filled out his seat, never never resigned early. So he's in prison now, but he didn't. He didn't uh, was not forced to give up his governorship. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. And here's an email. Uh, Elliot Spitzer of New York. Well, Elliot Spitzer did leave because of a scandal, and it was a sex scandal, but Elliot Spitzer, of course, is a Democrat. We're looking for the last Republican governor to resign because of scandal. Jay's on the line from Cape Cod. Hey, how are you today? Very well, thanks. Is it John Rowland? Uh, John Rowland is the correct answer. Okay. John Rowland is the governor for, was the governor of Connecticut, uh, and he resigned in July 2004 because of corruption uh, charges. And so uh, hang on the line, Jay, and uh, you will... Can I be- ask you a quick question? Uh, yeah. Do I... Wait, wait. If I get the answer right, do I get a T-shirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is um, uh, Al Franken the first Democrat elected to the Senate in an election he defeated two former or current senators? That's a good one, because he did defeat uh, Norm Coleman, who had been senator, and Dean Barkley, who was briefly senator uh, after Paul Wilson died. Uh, Jesse Ventura appointed him. So that's a, I think that may be a correct answer. What about uh, D'Amato as a Republican? Wouldn't he have also been in there? Well, D'Amato did defeat uh, Jacob Javits, but I don't know if and he... And Charles Goodell. No, no, Charles Goodell was beaten. No, Charles Goodell actually was beaten by Jim Buckley. That's right. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So I do get the T-shirt. Well, Jay, you still get a T-shirt, even though you were wrong on the J- on the Jay Buckley. I was wrong. I asked. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hang on. All of right. course, a fabulous no prize uh, T-shirt. Uh, we'll be going to Jay in and Cape Ken. Cod. And Ken. And Ken. By the way, that first ever political junkie T-shirt prize was designed by Neil's daughter, Casey. One thing I always enjoyed doing was letting the audience know when Neil would make a face in response to some cockamamie thing I would say. And sometimes I would get to tell the same joke for the umpteenth time, leading to Neil rolling his eyes. 
like this one when newly elected Congresswoman Kirsten Sinema of Arizona appeared on the show, along with two other freshman House members. I assume the three of you are all <laughs> smiling and optimistic. How long does that optimism last? I mean, when do, you, when do you say, oh, my goodness, what did I get myself into? Right now, you seem to be smiling. Will you guys come back again and share your experiences and see how you've done? Well, and can, how I, you can I serve seven years in the Arizona State Legislature? I smiled through all that. I'm sure we'll be fine in Congress. You probably had a good sense of humor. I do. <laughs> He's used that joke before, so you, sadly. Gotten me in trouble sometimes. Yeah. Well, Yuma is a city in Arizona. Yeah. yeah. He, she knows that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. I didn't represent Yuma, though. Yeah, no, but, but so the joke doesn't work. Well, yeah. Neil and I also traveled together. We did TOTN road shows in Columbus more times than anywhere else. But we also did the show in Cleveland, Roanoke, New Hampshire, Manhattan, San Francisco, Des Moines, Orlando, and St. Louis. And after TOTN came to an end, Neil and I added political junkie roadshows in Rochester, Cincinnati, and elsewhere. There was one time when Neil and I were sitting at Reagan National and talking intensely about politics and, and music and, and baseball. We both loved the New York Yankees. And we were so absorbed by what we were saying, whatever it was, that we barely heard the announcement on the airport speaker system. Neil Conan and Ken Rudin, please go to gate 35. Your plane is about to depart. <laughs> Neil and I flagged down one of those electric carts and got to the gate just in time. So many other memories of Neil. One of our political junkie shows was held at the historic Sixth and I Synagogue in Washington, just before the 2013 presidential inauguration. It was an absolute packed house with amazing guests, including members of Congress and, and former administration officials. Neil was tremendous that night. My only regret is that the tape system I set up to record the event failed to work. I still think about that, but it was a great show. There was a time when, when Neil hosted a radio-only Democratic presidential debate in Iowa in January of 2004. All the candidates attended. But what, but what I found to be most memorable was the time when Dennis Kucinich, one of the candidates, held up a pie chart to show the inequities of the Bush administration's economic policies. Now, if memory serves, Neil gently reminded the Ohio congressman that holding up a pie chart doesn't work very well in a radio debate. There was another time when Alaska Public Radio had Neil and me out to do a handful of events in Anchorage. What I remember most is the two of us just, just sitting and enjoying the breathtakingly beautiful scenery, talking baseball and music and Sarah Palin. There was never a time when we were together and we weren't talking. You know, I just read my back and forth with Neil on Facebook, the, the notes we sent back and forth to each other over the years. Almost every chat going back to 2016 was about baseball, the Yankees especially. Oh, how he would have enjoyed what's going on this year. But towards the end, the conversation was about Neil. I sent him one note in December of 2019, not long after he told me of his condition, that simply said, I miss you, Neil. His response? Not yet, asshole. One thing we often said, especially during the Trump years, was how much we would have loved to still have Talk of the Nation. Oh, the things we would have said on the air. It was an ongoing conversation between us for four years. I will say, without hesitation, 
but with sadness that NPR could have treated him better at the end. But that's for another day. I always thought that TOTN was going to last forever. So did Neil. We were both blindsided when we got the news that NPR was ending the show. I thought Neil Conan was going to last forever as well. At least I hoped he would. On April 1st of this year, many TOTN staff members held a Zoom conference call with him. Not to say goodbye, but to tell him how much he was loved and appreciated. It was a huge turnout in Zoom terms, with Ted Koppel and Robert Siegel and Nina Totenberg and many other luminaries joining in. Neil sounded great and optimistic. His voice was strong. His wife Gretel later told me he loved it. But by May, things were taking a turn for the worse. There were growing tumors, and he had lost his eyesight. And by mid-July, Gretel wrote, he is coming to the end. Neil Conan died on August 10th. He was 71 years old. I miss him for so many reasons. He had a voice, an authority, and a willingness to listen, something that is rare these days. He taught us so much. We needed, we need to hear that on the radio. He was just snuffed out way too soon. Sending love to his wife Gretel and his former wife, my friend Leanne Hansen, with whom he had two children, Casey and Connor. I knew this day was coming, but I didn't want to believe it. It breaks my heart that you're gone, Neil. Rest in peace, my friend. I'm going to end this part of the program the same way I ended my conversation with Neil a year ago, by playing a familiar tune. I want to grow up to be a politician <laughs> and take over this beautiful land. I want to grow up to be a politician and be the old U.S. of A's number one man. I'll always be tough. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please be safe. I'll see you soon. This one's for you, Neil.